first thing that I saw was someone get stabbed at the same, well, two, two people stabbed the same person at the same time. And how old were you at this time? Uh, 15. And um, it was the cry that he did, him asking for his mum, crying for his mum. It made me feel sick because I thought, someone's mum's at home right now mm. cooking dinner and that's her son there. Omar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lewis. No worries. I appreciate you coming on. I know you actually used to, we spoke on the phone, you said you used to actually live, live near me at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little while back, but um, yeah, had some good fun in that area. How, how long ago was that? This was going back just before the pandemic. So 2019 to mid, end of 2020. Yeah. And then yeah. obviously, so recently, you only recently moved away, right? Yeah. So yeah. then I moved in end of 2021. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so for everyone who doesn't know, uh, Omar Sharif is the UK's number one breakthrough speaker and coach. I mean, you faced a hell of a lot of, uh, of adversity in your time, which is why you're on the podcast because I want to go through it. You're actually an ex-London gang member, right? That's correct. Yeah. Which we've never had anyone on the podcast mm. like. So I'd like to dive into a lot of things surrounding the culture, mm. the business, how you actually got out, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so first question is, yeah. the, how do the gangs work? Why did you join? Yeah. Why did I join? A number of reasons. You know, I will say this. Sometimes you stumble across getting involved in a gang. So it wasn't a choice where I was like 13 saying, right, I'm going to become a gang member. And at that age, or at any age that I was involved, we never called ourselves gang members or even gangsters. You know, you were just part of a clique or part of a group. Initially, it's for safety. Because I'm not sure, like, <laughs> Barton Green is very different to where I grew up, all right? You know, central London. Because even in school, you had to belong to something, all right? Because even at lunchtime, you can tell there's different groups sitting at different tables. You can't just be the middleman. You could have, but because I was aspiring to be like a certain person, uh, I thought, right, I need to have a belonging. So essentially, it started with my entrepreneurial skills. So I don't come from a rich family. Uh, rich in love finances weren't you know uh, uh, something that we had in abundance at the time so I started selling sweets in school and I was selling sweets I was selling drinks then I moved on to makeup and perfume and things like that and I was turning a lot of money around essentially uh, I had I think like four or five lockers in the school right I've, I had an agreement with the teachers and um, essentially someone spotted that and spoke to one of their olders and I got approached after school one day and the guy was like look I've heard you've been selling money I thought Shit, am I, in, am I in trouble? I didn't know who this guy was, right? He was an older, I'm like, all right, I'll give you whatever you want kind of thing. Um, but he said, no, look, I can help you make more money. And it was just that one question that just left my mind thinking about it. Um, and essentially, this is a grooming process that we only realize now, you know, um, something that I've been teaching in schools for years about how they approach you, how they entrap you in this system, how they treat you to certain things. And it's all the languaging, you know, it's the manipulation of what you can help your parents pay the bills. You can start wearing nice garments, stop borrowing your brother's clothes, and they know exactly what to say. So that was really the my first foot in the door, you know, involved in it. Then came the adrenaline rush where you get called out and there's fights or they're going to go do something. And then you see this all going on. You're like, wow, I want to be a part of that. And growing up, they became, the oldest become your role models. You know, at the time, they're the guys who had everything. They had the respect from people. They had the good clothes. They had the cars. They had the girls. And you're like, that's a man. You know, I want to be just like him. How, how old was? This was 13, 14. And how old were the oldest? Oldest, you know, some of them in their 30s, some of them late 20s. But it's like, right, it's, let's forget about education. You know, they've got everything we need. 
do we need to study in school? Do we need the qualifications? That it really deterred our focus at the time. So I did do well in school, to be honest. I, I didn't go beyond college. Um, I think my GCSEs are my highest qualification on paper, but it was, I can see for those who didn't have a strong will, how it does become a life sentence for them and a lifestyle. I just, it got to a point where I was like, no, that's not mine. Is there, a, do you have to fit a certain category to become, to, to become kind of initiated into the gang, a certain ethnicity, anything like that? Okay, so yeah, at one point that did happen because you had like the Kurdish gang, you had Moroccan, Somalis, um, and I think they still exist to this day, right? But it became more about postcodes and it became more about, the number one criteria is loyalty, essentially, that's it. Are you going to be loyal to your ends? Are you repping the same postcode? Um, but in terms of a, to get involved into a gang, you just got to be hungry. They're looking for people who would essentially die, go to prison for them, um, take you know just take the hit as a younger you take the hit you take the fall how are they getting you to prove the loyalty oh they test you they'll test you they'll give you a bag say deliver this and they'll probably have someone follow you um you may get robbed on purpose which they set it up um and they just watch how you how you operate because it's you think you're not being watched you know you are there are other kids on the bike there's someone on the bus there's there's eyes on you the whole time but essentially i think you get put in that position of an, as an older if you have a good judgment of character and they will know. Did you ever, were you ever put in the position where you had to watch over people being no. initiated? No, no, no. I never became an older. Right. Yeah. Is it a certain length of time to become an older? It would be, but that really wasn't my interest. Essentially, the, the truth is when I got involved throughout the whole period, I was scared because I had seen things that, that no young person should see and I, what the scariest part that I saw was some of my friends who got involved with me actually in the beginning, how it became kind of a lifestyle for them and what the aspirations were. Because like, two years ago, they were saying I wanted to be this, you know, but now they're saying I want to be the gang, you know, lord of this. I want to run the ends. I'm like, yeah, that's not really aligned to what I want. Because I always knew I had more in me, you know, so the streets for me, it wasn't, it was a part time thing. Let me get some money, let me get some nice clothes have money to take people out and you know go to the cinema with my girlfriend and whatever but other than that i was not trying to rise up the ranks or anything like that whatsoever was there other people around you that also fought like that or was it just you because the, prob the problem was it's i mean don't get me wrong all of them had aspirations but to stay on road yeah i couldn't talk about aspirations of leaving i couldn't mention to them that i want to be a businessman one day i want to be a ceo that wouldn't go down well so the two people who I thought I could talk like that to, I did speak to them. They're like, nah, bro, this is, this is your in. That's not going to happen. And I thought, yeah, nah, this is, I'm not on that. What does, what does the hierarchy look like within a gang structure? I can only talk from what I've seen. I mean, all right, you have your olders, like I mentioned, right? Above them are normal people. When I say normal, I mean, they don't touch the roads. You know, they don't step on bikes. They don't hold anything. These are business owners, professionals, all right? The people who have the money to buy big, okay? So, and from what I've seen, property investors, restaurant owners, um, never ever had a conversation with them, but from a distance, I'm not an idiot. You know, I'm 15, 16 years old. I can see where the bags are going. I see the kind of cars pulling up. I see the handbags. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. Um, didn't understand it at the time. So I tried to ask many questions, 
And one person said to me, like, questions will get you in trouble. So just stick to what you know. And I thought, because I'm, I'm very inquisitive as a person. I've always been that way. I want to know what's going on. Um, but it, it, so for me, I was just told, just focus on what you've been given. Don't try to ask anything else. So how do these normal business people get into the position that they are in? That I don't know. It's just, if I was, if not if I was them, but if, I've, if I'm thinking about it, these are people who have disposable income, disposable cash in large amounts. And these are people who have other business deals and they want to wash money, clean money. So they may open the laundry. They may open a, a restaurant, you know, that takes cash only. And then they need people to move their food, being the foot soldiers like I was. Um, and that's how it works. They're like, right, we'll just stay in the background. We'll pay them what they need, pay them their pennies. Because their pennies to us is big money. You know, if, in the beginning, if you're, if you're making 200 pound a week as a 13, 14 year old, you know, that's not what I made, but I know people making that amount of money. You're laughing. Do you know what I mean? So that's two pairs of Air Max per week that you're happy. <laughs> you know, I grew up, I grew up in trainers that I bought from the market. I was embarrassed. Even what was that shoe shop called? I forget the names, but it was, that's what I'm saying is when they give you these lines about you can change your life and you can do all that. It really does get into like your soul. You're like, this person could help me save, you know, what I'm going through. I think there was a shop in uh, in Birmingham. I don't know if I had it in London. Called Hatman. Hatman. It was Hatman. Yeah. They had all the hats and everyone used to. No, we, no, we had Shoe Zone. Right, Shoe Zone. Yeah, yeah. And it was just my dad bought me a pair of steel toe cap boots for school once. He was like, "Yeah, they're durable. The last two years, <laughs> dead." Yeah, I was like, "I was like, pups, you're gonna get me killed in school. Like, this is just not." And I wore them because I had no choice. Yeah. Or Wallabies, you know, that was the other. Yeah. Um, maybe you wore them as well, but Wallabies were. Now nah, what, what are they? They had like a gummy base. It was like. Like a gel at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I never yeah, seen yeah. them. Yeah, well, yeah. Lucky for you. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's that's what we grew up with. But um, so essentially, they, actually, in some way, I've never said this before. I'm thankful that they introduced me to a different lifestyle because I wanted what they promised me, but I wanted to do it the right way. So I'm grateful for those experiences, but. Mm, yeah, I just didn't want to do it how they were doing it. I, I, I want to earn money and know that there's no one coming to knock on my door, that when I hear police siren, yeah. I'm not having to turn over my shoulder. I just want to know I've done it, I've paid my tax, I'm nice. Has it taken much longer? Absolutely. I'm still frigging my way out through life right now, even myself, but it's I'm doing it the way I plan to do it. You know, I'm not dead, I haven't been to prison, so I think that's a well, huge that's success. The, well, that's the, well, obviously that's the thing, right? It's everyone wants to make money fast yeah. now, even more than... Yeah ever before yeah. and what easier way than mm. I guess drugs for most people mm. they can just click their fingers and mm. anyone can kind of do it and, and make money so it's a really hard thing to turn down I mean the repercussions generally speaking for most people mm. are very limited to mm. for what they're actually making yeah but obviously I've spoken in, in gang life the biggest repercussion is, is death right from other gang members well it is because that's what you see you see your friends going to prison you see your people getting stabbed people getting killed um We've had numerous, like even in my area alone, we were on the news numerous times for fights. I mean, I'm talking school versus school. It wasn't five versus, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't five versus five. I've seen people fighting with knives in their back and they didn't realize till later on. Like it was, it was crazy. So that, that's why, like, I think from when I was in year nine, you can go into a fight, get a black eye and leave. The transition from year nine to 11, knives came out. So there was no fighting anymore. It was, we're going to war, literally. Um, and that's when my, eyes started looking like right do i actually want to get stabbed do i want to go down that route um 
but yeah, trying to exit or get out like that is it's not it's not as simple as that. Yeah, because you got twelve year olds. I saw the other day twelve year olds going mm. to getting arrested and stuff mm. for stab, stabbing people mm. to death, which mm. is just it's just crazy. Yeah. How much how much money are these gangs making on a monthly basis that you saw? I've never counted it, but I've seen duffel bags. Right, like multiple. Yeah, so you're looking easy 30, 40 k more. Must be more. Yeah, that's just that level. Way more. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never, yeah, I couldn't say, yeah. but I've seen it. Yeah. So, and again, when a young person sees that, that for them is financial freedom. That's like, they're a multimillionaire, you know? So, and th the problem is here, right? It's, I can't blame society or blame schools and whatnot. But if, if many teachers, right now, for example, right, I've been booked to speak at a conference um, end of September. I'm speaking to the police, speaking to all these um, partnerships. And they told me that, exclusion is at the highest rate right now so if you have these young people getting excluded from school they're also being told you're going to be good enough to get a job and they're good enough the fear isn't what people say about you it's the fact that one day you may believe what they're saying and they do that they limit themselves to think right well i'm never going to make it in school my parents have never made it in school so they believe i've heard people tell me themselves omar i'm not smart enough to be successful and i i said never say that ever again don't incarcerate yourself by your words. Because I did that for a long time. I will say I've never been to prison, but I've been here in mental prison because I believed what my teacher said about me. I believed for the people who doubted what I would do. And here I am now being booked by universities to speak to their students when I was told I wouldn't go to university. So, but I've done it the right way. I'm proud of myself, but it's taken me 16 years to work on myself. It's not been an overnight success. And I've been working on me for 16 years, not on how to make money. I've been working on how can I change? You know, so, and it's hard it, to, to commit to that pursuit of growth. It's difficult. Have you got any advice for people that want to do that? That want to commit to that, that, that don't know, have any, have any ways out or don't have anyone to talk to? Oh, I have. And I think, I mean, I have a six step model, which, which I live by and I, I go through with my coaching, but I can share that towards the end if you want. Yeah, yeah we'll share sense. that towards yeah. the end. Yeah. How accessible are then the guns and, and obviously knives you can just buy wherever, mm. but guns and stuff, how accessible yeah. are they? you know that saying is who you know yeah right that's basically what it is is if you needed five tomorrow because you've got a movement to do they'll call someone and it's there i mean you're not going to be getting no military grade you know type of you know, latest weapons some of them could be old revolvers and whatnot um but again i've seen them i've seen them passed back and forth i've never had anything to do with them myself but that's a question i asked when i was young i'm like how do these young people get these guns? And then I realized, right, okay, well, they have friends who, because for example, it's like, like a barber, right? If you, if you, I'm, well, I've got a barber who's cut my hair for 10 years, all right? And I've got one now and I'm sure I'll be with him for a while. You go to one particular person because you know that's what they're good at. So there's people who have their specialities and it's, I guess it's the same kind of thing is that they know there's one person who works on bringing in the weapons, supplying them, um, and they go to that person. And I think essentially, if I think about it, each gang will probably have a couple that they own, but it's if they go into war and there's, you know, crazy amounts of beef, then that's when they start to outsource. What are some of the craziest things, if you can share, that you have seen and how have they affected you mentally? The first thing that I saw was someone get stabbed at the same, but two, two people stabbed the same person at the same time. And that's not the worst I've seen, 
but it was the first that I've seen, which made it more impactful for me. And how old were you at this time? Uh, like 15. Right. And um, it was the cry that he did, him asking for his mum, crying for his mum. It made me feel sick because I thought, if someone's mum's at home right now mm. cooking dinner and that's her son there. And I was like, that, I, I, it couldn't, one, okay, so for example, here's why that, here's why I knew the gang life wasn't for me. Whenever any of the things felt bad, I'm quite emotional as a, as a man, I can admit that, right? I would cry on my way home or at night. And for some people I was around, they didn't feel, there was like, there was no remorse. They can go and do the same thing the next day. I weren't like that. That's when I thought to myself, right, I'm very different to these people. But to, just to go back to that point, it was just seeing how they could do that, leave him there and just walk off. Bonus spliff, like nothing happened. Um, <clears throat> I have seen a gun put to someone's head. I've seen <laughs> same thing happened to me. This is a whole different, this actually wasn't gang related, but making a man take off his clothes, everything on his knees, gun to his head. Um, because they thought he was a snitch. And just looking at a man's dignity being taken away in front of his girlfriend, um, in front of his, you know, other gang members, uh, that's what we're gonna call it. That for me, that for me is worse than someone getting beaten up. I've been beaten up so many times. My head stepped on, kicked in. That's not bad. But as a guy with your pride and your ego, when that gets stripped away and you can't retaliate, you can't people kill themselves. So growing up with and I realize now a lot of my childhood trauma or teenage trauma came from seeing these things but being taught you're not allowed to let these things out you you can't cry you know you can't cry as a man what are you doing you can't you can't be emotional as a man so i'm seeing all these dramatic things traumatic things happen around me and i can't express how i feel and that's building up as a young man and that's difficult to deal with how did you deal with that how did you live i didn't with deal that? with it you didn't i didn't i there was a point in my life where I was homeless for seven months. And those seven months were very important in my life because the first part was me trying to deal with it. So this was a lot of crying. This was getting myself overweight because I didn't have any money anymore. So I was living, living off one pound fish and chips, washing myself, washing my clothes in the laundrette, showering in a local um, uh, swimming facility. My lowest, one of my lowest ebbs, but that's also where I made a very, very distinct decision to change the stereotype of the kind of person that I was. My color, my skin, my age, the way that I spoke. Uh, you know, people look at me now, they've seen my other interviews saying, well, he sounds very posh, he sounds very well-spoken. People saying, even I've, I've read comments on interviews, people saying, yeah, I, I knew him in school. That's, you know, he's lying. I was like, you knew me at a chapter in my life. Where were you later on? You don't know the guy that's sitting here right now. I'm a very different person. So, um, trying to remember the question you asked, but it's, uh, <clears throat> what was the question again? It was about, how did you deal with, how deal with all the, the things you yeah, saw? Um, you spend a lot of time in here and I spent a lot of time laying down, just thinking, thinking, thinking. And all I could say to myself was that if I change who I am and I can have a ripple effect on other people around me, then this will slowly stop happening to young people. And I knew this because just this morning alone, I was on Facebook and I searched through my activity, activity log. One of my first bios I wrote was my dream is to inspire the world. And I actually got quite emotional. I was, I was looking at it, I think this was like 2009. And I was like, at that age, I said that big statement. And I thought, that's exactly what I mean. 
my peers at the time didn't have that level of thinking. So I knew with me talking, even talking about this stuff right now, people will say, oh, he's a snitch. He's not a snitch. I have two sons. I may have more kids one day. Like, I want to do my part to make the streets safer because I want them to live a long, prosperous life. I want to die before my kids. It's not like nowadays, every day is a funeral. You know, I, I don't think that's right. So how did I deal with it? I can talk about what I've done later on in my life because I've found certain ways of practicing and dealing with things like that. But at a young age, I didn't deal with it. I abused myself with food. I abused myself with porn. I, it was bad decisions until I made myself sick of myself. Um, was I suicidal at one point? Absolutely. Many of us have been. But too, not enough, not many guys have the strength enough or the vulnerability to enough to admit that. They'll cry at home, they'll cry to their girlfriends, but on the streets, they're smiling, everything's perfect. Instagram profile pic, my life is good. Behind the scenes, no. And I, I've worked with some you know, athletes and top people in their careers, leaders. I've seen them behind the scenes. That's why I work with people like that. Because dealing with traumatic experiences while you're trying to be successful and you've got quite a public figure, it's hard. Uh, how'd you go about addressing that? How'd oh, I've, I've, I've got many ways. I mean, I've, like I said, I've spent 16 years working on this. I've studied under spiritual masters, under gurus, had a direct training for some of the world's best. And I figured out my skill. And this is why I'm alive to this day. It's because I know how to help people break through. Yeah. You know, so but I can dive into that. Yeah, again, we can. Do, and that obviously sure. that skills come from the, your background. Absolutely. Having go through all that. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously, as they say, pressure builds diamonds. Right. Mm -hmm. If you hadn't have gone mm -hmm. through all that, then you wouldn't be sat in the position you are today mm -hmm. and helping other people get mm -hmm. over their, their own issues. Right. Yeah. So how did you how did you actually come to leave the gang? I know you say how you initiated, but how did you actually then leave? Because I'm, I'm assuming people aren't going to like when you're going to no. leave. They're scared. Yeah. So I did the wrong thing first. I just went like ghost, yeah. right? Changed my number, deleted MySpace. For those who remember MySpace, right? Yeah, anything like that, I deleted that. Um, the reason why that was a mistake because I put myself in a state of crazy anxiety, you know, to the point, like I said, if I saw anyone with a hood on, I thought they're coming for me, you know? That's why I went homeless. I was like, they do not know where I am. I will stay here until I feel safe. I never felt safe. Um, me traveling to go see my mum, I'd go on my bike at nighttime so no one can see me. Didn't have money for underground, didn't want to start, you know, hopping the barriers and whatnot. It was a hard time. Um, You're still living in the same place as well? No, I moved. Oh, okay. I moved, so yeah, yeah, I moved completely out of the area. Yeah. Uh, Do you think that helped? I thought it would, right. but then when I got desperate again and opportunities arose, it's the same stuff. It's like, hey, you know, we've, you know, here's what I did smart. This is why I think I haven't been to prison and I haven't, I've always tried to be more of a middleman. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, just naturally. I can sell well, I can communicate well. Uh, so instead of me being the guy who would do the runs, you know, go and drop a 10 here, this and that, I actually would find people who needed product, people who had an abundance of product. I'm like, right, well, I can actually bridge this gap. And that was my role. So when people say to me, yeah, he wasn't in the gang because there's no way he's still alive. Actually, I was because I know about adding value. I know about how to leverage a situation. So... I mentioned my mental health problems to, you know, these people. They're like, yeah, we don't care about that. But I said to him, look, what if I could set up a situation where you would make more money than if I was still here? How would that work out? So I offered a deal to get out, you know? So it wasn't me going snitching and this and that. And when I presented myself in that way, that's what I'm saying. Like everything I do, every, every, every award that I've won, everything I coach on is all about communication. I've had my life saved by communication, literally, with a gun to my head. So I've learned the art of how to converse, and how to get the other person on board, how to buy into them, body language, tonality, everything. Uh, and that's how I did it. And I realized, okay, I can speak. I can actually do more than just selling a product. I can sell myself. 
And if you learn how to sell yourself, you're sorted. Yeah. I think that's a really important skill. It's being yeah. able to sell. I think yeah. if you could only have one skill, it'd probably be that because you can sell yourself into and out of any situation you want. Absolutely. Which is, you know, it's something you can just learn for free, but yeah. it takes time to actually learn and be around different people and try different things. For sure. Which obviously comes from well for you for mm. you the streets was obviously catapulted you. So you presented a deal and that helped you you leave, right? Yeah. And then what was the next step? You you kind of you, do you still feel do you now feel like you're out or do you still feel something could ever you know, not not to take you back, but you still feel some type of connection there? Do you know what I mean? Are you still a little bit I, afraid at all? I can feel the certain aspects of me. So for example, I I've always grown up with a short temper, and it was. Number one, all right, you're growing up and you're stressed out, right? You, you, your friends, all your families around you are all suffering with money. You've got bailiffs at the door sometimes here and that. Growing up like that isn't easy, right? You want, as a young man, you want to become a provider. You want to help out. And knowing that you can't help out is painful, you know? I, I, the thing is, I've always said this. I have applied for so many jobs and no one ever looked at me twice, ever. I never even got to the next step. And I thought, well, not, it can't just be my CV. There must be a different reason to this. So people think, you know, he went straight into a gang. No, I never. Again, on my Facebook this morning, I've lost so many friends in my life because I always try to sell them something. And I realized that only today, I realized, at 30 years old, I realized, ah, I pushed them away. Because at a young age, although I was doing the road life, I thought, right, at the same time, what if I had a second stream of income that was legit? And then if that pops off, I can say goodbye, right? That was my idea. So growing up, I was doing all these, you know, these big American, you know, MLM companies, you know, building teams and selling products. And that's what I was doing for years. And on my product, on my Facebook, every status was about come to this meeting. I've got a great product. And I realized as the further I went up, I had less likes, less comments. And I thought, right, I also had less friends. So making money was so important. It was when you don't come from it, when it's not in abundance for you, when you don't have that there. It's not because you want to be rich. It's because especially where, where I lived was so difficult because on this side of the road council flats that side mansions same postcode mm. and you see the kind of people that walk out the houses from that side versus us it's like yeah we don't belong we can't have what you have that's what we grew up thinking and i thought i can get that i don't know how but i believe i can achieve that that's what's my mindset and so i'm, I'm always fixed on that saying do you know what i can break that stereotype so how do you think you can, you know, obviously gang life, do you, think, do you feel like it's getting worse or better? And how do you feel like we can fix it as a government? I've helped write legislation. I've sat beside Prince Charles on two occasions and actually put ideas towards putting past a new law. Uh, I can't say it's directly helping. And I've, asked, I've been asked this question many times about how we can, you know, slow down knife crime, slow down county lines, I've been the face of two knife crime campaigns, right? I'm training the Hampshire police on dealing with situations like this and other con on uh, other constabularies. There's no fixed answer. By the time that young person feels more love, connection, growth, significance from that gang, you've lost them because they will replace a gang with their blood family, honestly. So when you try to say to them, you know, leave your gang, they, don't, they won't be there for you later on, it's almost like you're telling them before that, yeah, just cut your mum out of your life. You don't need your mum. You don't need your dad. You don't need your siblings. To them, it's, this person gave me everything. They were there for me when I needed them. And that's what they connected to. So the grooming process really is a mental, mm, manipulative uh, process because they get these young people. Those young people will sit in jail for years for them. 
that's the loyalty they build into these in these kids. So I can't answer your question, Lewis. It, it's it's I don't see how the government can improve this because it's like this, right? It's like you've let your weeds in the garden grow for so many years, and then you say, right, we need one weapon that can just kill that, or one tool. Not going to happen. You need to go from the root stems. Even parents. I had some friends growing up, right? So I always had a curfew, right? My dad was always like, you're home at this time, home at that time. And if I was late, there was no point of going home. He would not open the door. So I knew that was the case. And my friends would laugh at me. Oh, you're, you know, I'm not going to swear on this channel. Don't know if I can. But yeah, you know, they would laugh and make fun of me. But I realized that was love. Because they'd be out, uh, out of the house in one, two, three in the morning. No one wondered where they were. No one cared where they were. So if they grew up knowing that, that's a problem. Because if you want one answer to the solution, actually, it's love. I've, I've worked with five HMP prisons, right, working with the inmates. Now, I've had big man cry. It's what I do. And they just want love. I always say there's, there's, there's two, the two biggest fears in the world, right? People want to be good enough and they want to be loved. Everything we do is about trying to meet those two needs. Everything, every move we make, every perfume we wear, every designer brand we buy, every basic brand we buy, every picture we take, it's trying to meet that. And for these young people, these older men, it's because they're trying to prove a point. If they weren't allowed to get a job or pursue a career or welcome into university, if they wanted, they didn't get a seat at the table, they built their own table. Because they wanted to prove that they can do something, they can provide, they can be part of something bigger than themselves. So although it's in the wrong area, I see the need for it why it feels so important for them. Did, the, did these guys have father figures in their life? That's a, ne that's a very important thing. Some of them did, but again, what's the difference between, some say there's a difference between a father and a dad. You know, someone like this father of the child, someone that's actually present. A lot of them had dads who they would see not very often, who wouldn't call them besides a birthday. My dad, I can say, was always there. You know, he had, he had business trips here and there, but always there. Every birthday, always there. To this day, he's cooking for every birthday party we go to. He's always present. And with me, he always said this one sentence, Omar, be a gentleman. Be a gentleman. And I, to this day, I'm just in my head now. So in those situations where I can see these things are going off and one side of me, you know, I lived like a split life. I was this guy on the road, but at home I was this good boy and whatnot. And yeah, there was a bit of a, of a overlap in, in how they don't align in terms of values. But having, I wouldn't just say a father figure, having the right male figure is very important because for those young men who didn't have the right or didn't have a father they they some of them did have the right male role model and for them that was so important because it's like you're having someone who can say you know come this way a little bit no stop there come this way just fine keep like just someone to believe in them and i wrote i wrote down in today i was like people underestimate the power of positive reinforcement just, i think people cry just by saying i love you i was looking in their eyes as a guy i said i love you I love you. He just started crying multiple of them because I've never heard that before from a man. They, they don't know they're allowed to... Exp the reason why we have so, many, so much violence is because young men and men don't know how to communicate their emotions. I struggle with it sometimes because I, I can still see the... When you, when you live on road, you're so on edge all the time because you don't know if you're going to be stabbed from the back, you're going to get fight, you're going to get arrested, you're always on edge. And that carries even to this day in my life. That's why I'm constantly working on myself. But it's like... We need to be taught how to communicate. Where do you think we need to be taught that? Do you think it starts from schools? Yeah. yeah. Home. Home life. And, I and the way I, I praised my parents, but I also told them that, I said, the one mistake you made with me was you always told me to be the bigger sibling, be the older. I, I'm one of the youngest. 
And then we say, oh, I'm not just holding it in. Just holding it in. If I blow a balloon, I keep blowing the balloon, what's going to happen? That's what happened to me. So I wish I learned. I mean, parents, we always try and do our best. And I, I, can't, I can't knock my parents off at all because to this day, they're still there, still present. Um, but I, we need a way to, this is why things like martial arts, anything, just get out in the open. So many people who live in cities don't get out. They've never been to Wales or Scotland or the Lake District. You know, so they need to go out and see nature. They need to understand breathing techniques, meditation, but also how to communicate with themselves. Because I always say, we become what we say to ourselves. And if you're waking up in the morning saying, you know, I'm a failure, I'll always be this, I'll always be that, it's, again, you're incarcerating yourself. You're, you're keeping yourself in that bubble that society created for you. We can break that. But do you have the balls to do it? Yeah. That goes obviously, uh, you know, out of gang life, right? That goes into mm. every walk of Absolutely. life. Yeah, for sure. People, as you say, which I also agree with you, think it's an issue. People keep believing they can't do things, mm. whereas truth mm. is they're no different to me or you and they can they can do whatever they yeah. want. People just have different head starts than others in mm. life, but at the end, it's how you finish, mm. right? Everyone can catch catch anyone up if they if they yeah. so want it. Yeah. Um, so do you have, going onto your pillars, do you have advice for people that are in situations, work, home, life, whatever it may be, that want to you know, go to the next step and get away from people, get out and make more money or, you know, create more happiness for themselves or whatever it may be. Do you have any advice? <sighs> oh man, to try and fit that into one little section. Maybe maybe work. advice that yeah. you've given people that seems to work the best, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, look, I have a six-step model that I that I share with my coaching. Uh, it's, it's, I built it into a seminar, I built it into a keynote and in my coaching. It's called Legacy. And I believe we're all here to try and create some type of legacy. So the six steps, I can share the six steps, how I do that. That's, I mean, you have to pay me to help you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. but uh, L, all right, live with passion. This is the first step for me. You know, we need to live with passion, understand, you know, you know live a, an abundant life. You don't have to have the abundance, right? But you need to live with that passion. You can't say, well, you can't walk around with your shoulders down and sludge and saying, yeah, I'm passionate or, you know, people look at me. You need to, you need to have some kind of energy about you, all right? E is for embody your identity. The reason why I say that is because one of the strongest forces in the human nature is to be consistent with how we see ourselves. Because that changes. Someone could lose a job tomorrow and it's straight away they lower who they are. Someone could lose a family member or their health deters and they're like, well, well, now I am less than. That type of languaging is very detrimental to here and here. So embodying who you are, regardless of what you have, regardless, that's really important. Uh, G uh, generate non-negotiables what are you not going to give up regardless what are you going to keep doing no matter what the weather is no matter how you feel in the morning uh, a always add value that's that my number one rule actually is always to over deliver so again this is really believing in your own stuff because people say yeah but i have nothing to offer i don't have i only have gcse's I'm not great gcse's but how am i where i am today it's not because of my formal education I've had to prove myself competent. I've, I've, I've had a corporate job, right? That required me to have a master's degree. And I got the job. It wasn't because of my qualification. I said, <laughs> they said no to me three times, but I said, interview me in person. I present to you. I knew, I knew the second I get in front of them, I'll sell them. And I got the job. And I quit afterwards to become a personal trainer. But my point is, I added value. All right. And I, I, I found a problem of theirs I could solve. And that was it. I was done. Um, step number five, <coughs> C is create momentum. Never stop. You know, the f people say, yeah, what if it doesn't work? Expect it not to work straight away. Why are you fearing a speed bump? Why are you fearing something? It needs to go wrong because that's feedback. You know, life's happening for us, not to us. It's not happening against us. Everything that's happened in my life, me being stabbed, me being beaten up, me being homeless, I'm so grateful for it because I took away the lesson. And then 
Number six in legacy is invest in yourself. It's what are you willing to do differently? Most of my money in my lifetime has gone, and I put myself into huge debt, working on me, going to study directly with Tony Robbins or flying all right, you know, I've been flying everywhere, buying courses, reading books. That's what I've done for 16 years. You know, I've had friends, girlfriends, people say that I'm boring because I don't read the Twilights and Harry Potters. I don't want to read them. Why would you want to read that when you can read? That was the thing. And again, I, I, I realized how I pushed friends away because I was so fixated on me changing who I am. And one person who I met 14 years ago, and I saw him on stage and someone said he got paid like half a million to go and do like three days of work. And I thought, how, how do you become that person? And I waited ages to speak to him. And I told him a bit about my, my, my backstory. And he was like, Omar, if you don't change what you're doing now, you won't live long enough to be where I am. And that was it. That's like solidified my decision saying, I'm committed on my growth. Um, so legacy, those six steps, live with passion, embody your identity, generate non-negotiables, always add value, create momentum and invest in yourself. If you can do those six things and because don't say you've done it for a year, it doesn't work. Do That's like saying I've lived the year. I haven't achieved my goals. I should just die tomorrow. You need to welcome the shit that comes with success. Welcome. I'm sure, look at your, your story. I'm sure you've faced some stuff that you didn't want to face, but it's part of it, right? But it builds as a better person. The second you can get, oh, the second you can overcome that, that, that hurdle, you realize that actually I'm a better person for this. Because now I've got that strength. Yeah, I think as well, if, if everything works, you're probably doing something wrong. If yeah. everything had worked yeah. for me, then yeah. I wouldn't be sat in this position yeah. now. Absolutely. Because I only went down certain routes because other things didn't mm. work. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And they've become exponentially better. As you said, keep sharpening keep sharpening the, the arrow on the knife. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going to take you where you want to go mm. to. Mm. I mean, you said about non-negotiables. What are your non-negotiables? Hey, man, this is... Number one is to choose how you feel in the morning. So, for example, you can wake up, it can, be, that, yeah. it can be grey outside, right? You can have debts, you can have had a massive argument with someone or something, but to wake up and be conscious and say, right, I decide to feel like this today, rather than being reactive, right? I'm choosing, that's, that's number one. Um, I also have a routine, so I pray, right? I, <laughs> I try to pray five times a day, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Muslim by faith, but I make sure I pray. I make sure I have a conversation with God. So this is besides my Islamic prayer. It says I make sure, right, I'm checking in and I'm staying connected to the source. That's number two for me. Um, I have my, so I take cold showers. Like that's, I'm a cold shower kind of guy. So you like Wim Hof? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was exposed to him like four and a half years ago. Right. Since then, it's been just consistent. It's, if I had to say one overall quickly, it's just choosing what I think about myself, what I say to myself. And this is very important. It's what you do in the first 15 minutes. You take your phone out and get your addictive hit of looking at how many likes your post got yesterday or you're, you're writing a response, you know, of trying to cut someone back or get something back. You're like, should I say this? What are you giving your energy to? Because what you expose yourself to in the morning straight away, it sets you up for the day. That And like, I'm very big on energy. We, and I feel it with people. This is when I work with people. Actually, the first thing I look at is their energy. I can pick up on stuff like that. So a non-negotiable non -negotiable for me is that... Um, uh, you want a second non-negotiable? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I read for at least ten minutes per day. I what read. You, what, what type I of stuff? Read. Right now, I'm reading. No, not for the first time. Um, Positive thinking by um, Norman Vincent Peale. Right. Um, also to write. Uh, to write every nowadays, we're in a day where we're typing and that's it. I don't see young people writing anymore. Like I've got so many of these books mm. where I sit down and I just journal, saying, right, well, how do I feel right now? What do I want to heal? What do I want to work on? And I just let it out. 
Because I believe when, when, that, when that drop of ink leaves this pen and goes there, it's part of creation. I'm manifesting. Like, I can go back in my diary and, like a year ago and say, all right, I was wanting something two years ago. And I'm like, I've got it now. I didn't even celebrate having it, but a little while back, it's what I wanted. So practicing gratitude. Like, we hear about it all the time, right? People say, yeah, be grateful. Like, it's a practice. It's not just something you wake up and say, right, I'm grateful for this water. I'm grateful I can wear this hoodie. It's actually, it, what energy do you get from being grateful? That's what people need to work on because we have different frequencies. When you're, like, you've got a daughter right now, right? Yeah, Congratulations, yeah, man. Months. Thank you. You know, I know with my two sons, whenever I was angry, they would know. Not because I'm saying or doing anything. Mm. It's because I'm giving off something. And your daughter will pick up on that as well. So it's like, how can we be in control of how do we show up every single day? That, that's it in, in short is who do I need to be? Because with most of my clients, right? They say, oh my Lord, I'm really running a seven-figure company, six-figure company. I want to hit that. And I say to them, right, that's great. Are you prepared to become the person you need to be who, who to need to be so you can do those things? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you want new goals. You also have to have new levels. That's more employees. That's more this, more that. How, if you're stressing out now, mm. how are you setting yourself up? Because people want these big goals, but they can't deal with that. You know, it's, so it's it's really deciding on how you show up every single day. Yeah, I mean, your story's incredibly interesting. As I said to you before, and there's not many people that are in your position that have got out of that and mm. can actually share their stories. So, I mean, I think it's a great place to end. Um, do you want to share your socials where people can learn more if anyone's trying to get out of a certain situation and wants to come to you? Sure. How can they? Yeah. Uh, easiest way is my website. So that's uh, omarinspires.com. Uh, Instagram, Omar Sharif underscore official. Uh, just search Omar, Omar Spies or find me. That's what I'm known for. No, yeah. Good one. I appreciate you coming yeah. on. Thank no, you very thank much you, for sharing. For no, thank you very much. I mean, yeah. you just come over from Poland. I mean, you're going on Hub Formats podcast like this week, right? Yeah, Wednesday. So um, that'll be filmed then and get that out there yeah, as well. Yeah, so everyone, you know, listen yeah. to that when it comes out too. So I appreciate your time. Amazing. Thank you, brother. Thank you.